Welcome everyone to the Wild West podcast, where we talk to the people shaping how we think about nature, the outdoors, and California's wild places. I'm San Francisco Chronicle travel editor Greg Thomas, and this pod is a place where I interview adventure athletes and environmental advocates and the movers and shakers who are defining and redefining what we do when we go outdoors. Today we're excited to have shark diver Ron Elliott and filmmaker Josh Berry on the podcast. Their new short film, called Near Miss, focuses on a moment Ron was diving alone in the Pacific off the coast of San Francisco near the Farallon Islands uh, and had an extremely close encounter with a great white shark. The footage of the incident is absolutely incredible. We see uh, this 17-foot shark materialize in the water ahead of Ron, who's a 67-year-old man, and just as he turns his head, the shark shoots straight toward him and bumps him on the back of his skull with its bottom jaw. It's absolutely terrifying. A short clip of that incident was accidentally leaked to the internet years ago, and it immediately went viral. I mean, millions of people saw it. There was all kinds of speculation about the diver in the film and the circumstances, uh, and Ron basically kept quiet about the whole thing. He didn't want to draw attention to himself. So the new film tells the story behind that clip, who Ron is and why he dives the Farallons alone among great white sharks. Uh, he goes all the time. He's had hundreds of encounters with sharks and some pretty close calls, including the one that you see in the film. But he says he still doesn't think twice about going back out there. The fear thing is imagine. You know, that's, that's all it is. It's just somebody, your imagination going wild. So for me, yeah, that's that's I, I just don't want the fear or you know because every once in a while I'll, I'm human I you know I'll, I'll get the jitters you know you just you know some days you're mentally off and you're just going am I doing the right thing should I be here you know I, I don't feel quite right well you know you just kind of go well I'm here just trust and go for it. Back in the fall, Ron actually had another close encounter with a great white shark at the Farallons. This time the shark actually attacked him and it bit him. He was holding a large underwater camera at the time and he used it to kind of fend off the shark, but it still managed to bite him on the hand and forearm. So when we spoke for the podcast, Ron was about three weeks out of surgery and working on getting mobility back in his right hand. Um, and he, he, he doesn't do much media, so having Ron come in and share his thoughts about all of this, especially so soon after his surgery, was really special. And I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll get to my conversation with Ron and Josh in just a moment, but first, this brief message. All right, we're back. Now on to my conversation with shark diver Ron Elliott and filmmaker Josh Barry. Well, thanks for coming by the Chronicle office this morning, guys. It's great to have you here. Thanks for having us. Yeah, made it. I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, uh, let's talk about all you went through to get here this morning, Ron, in terms of your most recent encounter with sharks. Well, uh, you know, it's just one of those days where I've been diving uh, out at the Farallons. Uh, some of the, uh, the shark researchers were out there on their boat on the NorCal one and uh, which are you know good friends of mine and uh, that particular morning it was beautiful out it was one of those really nice days and I pulled into a spot that I have had some encounters before um, and I jumped in the water and within just a few seconds 
there was a, a big female shark coming right up for me. You know, I saw her coming, and uh, she didn't stop. And, uh, you know, I fed my camera in her mouth to avoid losing my head and everything else. And, uh, you know, kind of fended myself off, and she jerked around, but my, in, my hand and my uh, regulator ended up in her mouth, you know, and so I was fortunate, just got bit on the wrist and the, uh, I mean, on the back of the hand and the uh, forearm. So it was quick, and I wasn't far from the boat because I didn't get down very far. <laughs> so, because uh, she ripped the, the regulator out of my uh, mouth, and it was, you know, it was a gushing air. You know, I didn't have very far to swim back up to the surface and get on the boat. And, you know, I wasn't going to wait around because usually, you know, the sharks, if they hit you, you know, they kind of swim around and look at you, you know. And so when I was getting around to the back of the boat and just trying to climb up on the outdrive, I looked underneath the boat. You know, she's down there about 10 feet below the boat. And uh, she was looking at me, um, you know, so I, you know, if I was just, if I couldn't have gotten on the boat, she would have come back. Uh, whether she would have done anything or not, or, you know, I might have been able to fend her off. But, um, you know, luckily I, my hand was good enough to help me get back on the boat. Were you out there by yourself? Yeah, I, I, I'm 99% of the time I die by myself. So what happens then? Do you radio for support or something what happened so uh so the uh, interesting thing was that i you know when i got up on the boat you know i uh i dropped my weight belt and then i went in to uh uh call uh the norcal one because i knew they were out there they're on on the uh northwest side of the island i couldn't see them those are the other shark researchers yeah. out there yeah so they um you know i just called them on uh well, usually we we talk on Channel 80, and uh, you know they monitor it, and uh, so I just told them, uh, you know, I uh, one got me, and they said, uh, say that again. And I said one got me, and then, you know, then I just <laughs> kind of went back out on the deck, and I was holding my hand, and and then you're airlifted to the hospital, and you get surgery on the hand and the arm, or what? How, how does that okay, go? Okay, so that so what happened was the NorCal. Um, when they got on the boat, they helped. They uh, had a, a good tourniquet on the boat to put on my arm and help me. And so they were trying to decide, okay, follow us in, you know. And da, da, da. and then when they got there, you know, they got the tourniquet on me, and um, then we got it wrapped up with a towel to try and stop them. And they put a wound pack on the major one that was right there, you know, on my oh, yeah. forearm. Um, so uh, that was, you know, pretty bulging out. And so they put a, one of those wound packs on there, you know, wrapped it up in a towel. And, um, and um, so they just started heading to San Francisco. They talked to the island, you know, and, uh, and then they got a hold of the Coast Guard. Um, so halfway in to the uh, San Francisco, uh, the police boat, the Marine unit was out there. And when they transferred me onto that boat, and then the helicopter did the basket drop on that boat, you know, and they took me to Stanford. Stanford just patched me up. They didn't uh, operate that night. I don't know why, but they, they didn't. And so uh, I later on had surgery a couple weeks later. Yeah, what kind of surgery? What does surgery look like for a shark bite? Um, well, I guess from what I'm, I found out is those teeth kind of don't make nice, smooth edge cuts. <laughs> <laughs> 
So there's uh, basically he had to repair like seven tendons, uh, so you know nerves, and then reattach this muscle that had atrophied back because it actually was almost a month by the time they got me in there. Uh -huh. um, and so it's uh, just a lot of uh, getting mobility back. Do you expect to have full mobility and use of your hand and your arm after this? Uh, it's going to be restricted. Uh, you know, there's certain rotation and movement in my hand. Um, you know, I cut a lot of the tendons that kind of control it. So it, it's going to be restricted, but I mean, it'll be usable. But I'm, I'm, I don't know what percentage, but it, you know, realistically, it's going to take take some time. You know. So you out of so you're out of action out of the water until. Yeah, you know, I can. I can like almost hold this coffee cup without spilling it on me. So, you know, I'm getting there. It's just like uh, on a boat, you know, dealing with pulling an anchor chain and doing all those kind of things. You know, I'm, I'm right-handed. It's just gonna take a while. I'll figure it out. It's yeah. an improvement over the last time I saw you. No, no, it's, you You're know, vastly improved. I'm not giving up on this baby. <laughs> I, I can see the water there, I can smell it, but I'm not on it yet. We're in it, so. Well, I wanted to back up and ask you about how you got started diving and at the Farallons. And so you were a commercial urchin diver back in the, you started in, when did you start, the 70s? Yeah, 78. 78. So I started down in Southern California. Uh, you know, at that time, my wife and I were living in uh, Santa Monica. Um, my boat was in uh, Oxnard, Channel Islands Harbor. And then it was like the end of 89, no, beginning of 89, I came down to Bodega Bay. And that's when I started, uh, you know, going out to the Farallons and stuff like that. Yeah. So what made you start diving there, you know, recreationally as a hobby? So yeah. Okay. So what happened was um, I dove there commercially till 2005. Um, the market wasn't very strong. We lost our buyers in Bodega Bay. I would have to get back into commuting back to Santa Barbara or or working out of Fort Bragg or somewhere like that. And uh, at that time, I didn't want to be traveling. You know, I was pretty happy to sleeping in my own bed at home. Um, and so um, I kind of, uh, we were working for prices that were, you know, 10 years earlier, you know, or less. And uh, it just didn't make sense. It was more frustration than, than worth it. So uh, at that time, um, I was, somebody got me into doing some film work for a little short documentary and uh, I, I liked doing that. That was kind of fun. You know, I had this little high eight camera and I was swimming around taking video. And at that time my daughter had, a, you know, a couple uh, twins and they were small and, um, and so I thought, well, this is kind of cool. I'll be able to show my wife and daughter and them a little bit of what I see. And um, because it's hard to explain it to somebody, and uh, and so it became yeah it's a, it was became an expensive hobby, <laughs> very expensive hobby. Yeah. And so, you were doing some film work, but were you only going out to do film work, or were you going out there just to kind of be by yourself or, or do filming for your own you know your own purposes? 
Uh, well, I never did it for for money or, or for production. You know, uh, I don't mind sharing. You know, I like sharing it with my friends or family. Um, but yeah, you know, it was like you know there was still something about like the Farallons being a little. It's not crowded. You know, there's not, <laughs> no, there's it's not, not a bunch of competition. You know, um, you know that's my getaway. Um, that's why I like it. Um, uh, so for me, it was like, oh, okay, you know, it might not all be about. I mean, I do like to focus at the areas where the sharks are, but then there's a lot of cool other things that I see down there. You know, little creatures and stuff happening. So you know, I really get just as much filming stuff like that or seeing it. Um, so a lot of those years diving, you know, doing sea urchins and stuff, I you know, I'd be working away. Something really cool would happen, or I see something really cool, and I, you know, I, wow, I wish I had a camera. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was kind of like, okay, now I have a camera. Let's go for it. Yeah, it's like a whole another universe down there. You, you, the moment you get under the surface, it's just completely different world. The laws of nature are different. Everything, the creatures down there, it's all just, it's another world. And it's amazing because it's right here. We're surrounded by it. Yeah. And is something specific about the Farallons that brings you back? I mean, it's a, kind of a hotbed for shark activity, but is there another, like, what is it about the Farallons specifically that, you know, draws you to that spot? The places on the coast, you know, visibility, the, the water quality for diving or filming is usually, you know, most of the time not very good. Um, uh, so at that time of the year when the sharks are out at the island, you know, I, you stand a better chance of having decent water to swim around, see what's around you, and filming. Um, and it's just remote. You know, I like, I like the drive, you know, the boat ride out there. And then you see a lot of things on the way sometimes, you know, when the whales are happening and stuff like that. It's, or the dolphins are around. It's always an adventure going out there, and it's so raw. It's just raw wilderness, you know. And the ocean out here is so intense. There's never a dull moment. Well, that let's talk about the film a little bit. So you guys have this film near Miss that is premiering at the the Ocean Film Festival. Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. International Ocean Film Festival. International Ocean here Film in Festival. San Francisco. Yeah. So how did that come together? How did you guys get together? How did you kind of form a partnership? And then how did your how did the idea for the film come about? So I had, you know, I had known Josh, and uh, he had done some things for uh, Save the Waves. I seen some of his little, uh, some of his videos, stuff that he's done, shorts. He had a um, an artistic quality about his work, and uh, so I really liked that. And then we just over a period of time, eventually, you know, I shared some footage. He came by and we looked at some footage and stuff, and. And he said he'd like to maybe do something. And I said, sure, you know. And then eventually, it took years. Took three uh, years? Yeah, it took a few years. Uh, and then, uh, and basically what he did was I showed him my vi- uh, my footage, and he did his own thing. I had no input. So what he created in Near Miss was his own, you know, I had no direction. He picked what he wanted to do. And you know he did a great job because it's uh, it's not a hype thing. Um, I, I think it accurately depicts what's going on 
and you know, and from my perspective of how I feel about things. So you know, he did a great job. He, I had that sense he would. You know, he's not that type of guy to just overhype something uh, beyond what it is. Uh, and I respect that. Yeah. About ten years ago, Ron showed me a little clip on his phone. I remember it was one of the first iPhones. <laughs> so whatever date that was. He showed me this short GoPro clip of him diving down and a shark coming out of nowhere and kind of headbutting him. And so I saw that clip and immediately wanted to tell some sort of story around that. And that was 10 years ago. So I was, it's just been brewing in my heart and mind. And then we've been talking every once in a while and I've just had this story that I just, I had to tell about Ron. And then he kept showing me better and better shark footage <laughs> right. after that. And it just kept getting better and he just kept accumulating more and more like epic underwater shark footage, like nothing I've ever seen before. I mean, the stuff that Ron has is truly, there's no, there's nothing out there like it. So yeah, we started talking, we did a bunch of interviews and we turned it into near miss. I did two trips with Ron out to the Farallons on his boat. And just I just wanted to tell kind of a day in a day in his life and kind of try to capture his unique personality. He's a unique individual and the Farallons are a unique place and they it's just a very unique story that is very mysterious and fascinating. Yeah, we just slowly turned it into this story, and about three quarters of the way through it, some footage that Ron had was accidentally leaked onto YouTube. It was like a five-second clip of a shark coming out of nowhere and headbutting him. A different clip than the one I mentioned earlier. And it went super viral on the internet. This five-second clip just was everywhere. Got hundreds of millions of views. But it was this five-second clip with no context. Yeah. And the story that everyone attached to it was completely false. Someone made up a story that it was a South African salvage diver, and it was filmed by his son, which was just totally false. Yeah. Someone just made up a story, pulled it out of thin air. Um, it was actually Ron attaches a GoPro camera to his hose, which is trailing behind him as he swims, so the camera picks up and follows him, whatever he's doing. So that was the footage, and that was the true story, and no one knew that, and Ron didn't want to like, really get the publicity around it because it was infamous. And so that clip ended up being the centerpiece of Near Miss. Mm -hmm. And it was interesting that it happened that way because that clip was one of the best encounters that he had on film, so it was it really helped to tell Ron's story in Near Miss. So Near Miss is kind of a day-in-the-life story centered around that piece. Well, so apart from the misinformation that comes out, uh, you know, about that clip in that example, like, Ron, you mentioned uh, not not wanting to play into the, the hype surrounding kind of shark encounters. So it seems like that's kind of something you both have thought a bit about. What What is the... What's the hype and... What you know? What are you trying to maybe kind of counteract about that with this film? Well, I uh, you know Josh 
um, depicted what I, I felt, how I feel. Um, and, and it's been a subject to a lot of it, even with my friends, the shark researchers. And we all kind of feel like, um, you know, it's the cell part of it, you know, is huge. Um, and it's overblown. It's a little, you know, it's just, um, you know, it's a, a, it's nature. It's the way it's supposed to be. It's not, you know, but there's always people out there trying to make money off it. You know, it, it captures people's uh, fear and imagination and awe. And uh, I'm not in it to prove anything to myself. You know, I've had people come up and say, well, I can, I'll go diving with you. I don't, I'm not afraid of them. And, I, and that's not it for me, to go prove something. That's not what I get out of it, you know. I, I do know what shark it is now, though. We, I, we know which one it is. Do you have a name? Do you have a name for it's it? Called step, uh, so the researchers, we went through their, their uh, photo ID thing, and it's Step Notch. Step Notch. Step Notch. Great name. So on the dorsal, it's got like a real notch like a step on the dorsal and it has an eye a real uh a couple little scalloped areas out of the bottom tail um and um so they they you know they're calling it like a 17 17 and a half foot to me it looked 18 but we'll, we'll, we'll call it 17 17 and a half a big female yeah another yeah. thing about the whole hype factor yeah is i mean the media and general public are just obsessed with big scary looking sharks totally and so it's this incredible killing machine and the ultimate survivor but the flip side of that is if you look at the hardcore reality of sharks and humans they're not that dangerous people don't spend that much time in the water and ron spends a lot of time in the water. He's probably had more, more shark encounters than almost anyone else on Earth, especially with aggressive great white sharks. And he hasn't had that many dangerous encounters with them. Like the, the number of times that his life has been in danger has been a tiny fraction compared to how much time he spent in the water. So the statistics, even for Ron, are minuscule. Like the risk that he's actually taking is not that high. And everyone in the media and everyone, they hear about Ron and what he does, and they're like, oh, my God, this guy's insane. That's so dangerous. I would never do that. But you look at the hardcore reality of the situation, it's not that dangerous. The sharks are not there to bite you. They're not there to kill you. They're not really that interested in humans. They really don't care. They're out there, you know, patrolling their territory, looking for food, swimming around. They know... 99% of the time, the sharks know that the human that just jumped off the boat swimming down, they know that is not food. They're smarter than we give them credit for. It's really interesting that people still fixate on this whole shark thing. Yeah. What, what do you, do you have a theory, Ron, about what actually happened when you jumped in the water that day? You know, shark's not there to eat you, but you maybe spooked it or it was near the, like, near the surface. What, like, what do you think happened? So when I jumped in and I started swimming down, I, I saw her off to my right, and she was already on a like a, on a, a sim coming up, uh, you know, on an angle, and she wasn't slowing down. It was an attack, or um, I mean, the mouth came full wide open and everything, but um, it might have been more of a just kind of like a turf thing. 
you know, because on the bottom I've had them kind of run into me and stuff like that and kind of open their mouth and, you know, um, so I, I think it's more of a just kind of like a, hey, you know, what are you doing here kind of thing, you know. Um, mm -hmm. I think it was more of a just rough me up type thing. Mm -hmm. Of course it could. <laughs> that was a big mouth. Yeah, the, pro the problem with those big sharks is that when they're just coming in for an inspection, they can inflict some damage. Totally. Yeah. So do you guys feel like it's part of your duty, responsibility? Do you, do you hope to dispel some of this um, mythology that we kind of have as a society around sharks as being, you know, that, that like Jaws mythology of being scared of the ocean, sharks are there to, to eat you, that kind of thing? I love to talk about it in the media around the film. <laughs> I mean... The film doesn't really talk about it. It doesn't talk about the hype or the... The film doesn't even talk about that clip that went viral. It doesn't address that because I thought it would be more powerful to just kind of ignore that because it there's already been, you know, millions of man hours spent on the Internet of people commenting on it. So what can you really do about it? You can't. You just let it go, you know? And... Yeah, the internet is a funny beast in that sense. Like, I don't, I can't, I'm, I don't have any ideas that I'm going to change the perception that humanity has of sharks, but I love talking about it and just pointing out the absurdity of our collective attitude. We have this deep-seated fear in our DNA of being eaten alive, literally, and sharks are a great symbol of that. You know, it's it's totally, it's not real anymore because society and culture has changed so much. Like, getting eaten alive is not a risk. It's never going to happen. But we still have that in us in this deep, deep way that we can't really understand. So it's pretty fascinating. Uh, what do you think, Ron? Is there a message that you hope people take away from this film or just from, like I said, kind of the media that you're doing surrounding the film? Well, I mean, you know, for me, because I'm not a, a filmmaker, I really don't have an agenda. Uh, you know, all I want to do is if, if it gets out there, I just want it to be in the what it is and not what it isn't. Um, like, like what uh, Josh was saying, you know, the fear thing is imagine, you know, that's, that's all it is. It's just Somebody, your imagination going wild. So for me, yeah, that's that's. I, I just don't want the fear, or you know, because every once in a while, I'll, I'm human. I, you know, I'll, I'll get the jitters. You know, you just you know, some days you're mentally off, and you're just going, "Am I doing the right thing? Should I be here?" You know, I, I don't feel quite right. Well, you know, you just kind of go, "Well, I'm here. Just trust and go for it." How many shark encounters would you say that you had? I've seen some different numbers online in different articles. Yeah, those are big guesses, and I couldn't even tell you the truth. But, you know, it's been a lot over the years. But not, like, kind of like what um, Josh was saying, though. There's not that many uh, serious ones mm -hmm. compared to just seeing them or having them just buzz you or, or bump into you, you know. Because I've been bumped a number of times, but those weren't attacks. So I, you guys sent me a screener, which was awesome. I got to check the video out. I, um, after watching it a couple times, I kind of feel a little bit like it's a horror movie 
Like it just has a little bit of that vibe and the moment of, you know, that we've been talking about of the, the bump on the back of Ron's head. Like when I saw it, when I first saw it, I had this very visceral react. Like, I think I yelled out loud. Like, I think my girlfriend came into the, the room in our apartment, like what happened? And I was like, you got to watch this. And I probably watched it 10 times. Like, I just couldn't believe what I was watching. I had to just kind of keep going over and over. Um, and, you know, partially it's, it's fun, but it's also kind of that, it felt to me like the, you know, uh, maybe like the reason that we go see horror films kind of is to go be frightened and to, to feel like we're close to that kind of primal experience. And so that just makes me think, it just makes me wonder what, uh, what you guys hope that, that viewers come away from the film thinking about or, or feeling. I, ultimately, I'm a storyteller. I used to work a lot in, as an environmental activist and a cons- in the conservation world. And that is not my agenda for this film. I'm not interested in like saving sharks or saving the ocean. I think that's a great agenda, but that is absolutely not my agenda with this film. I just want to tell a great story about a really unique human being. Anything else that people take away from it, that's their right. Yeah, and then going back to your comment about it being a horror film, um, <laughs> the Fairlawn Islands usually are like shrouded in fog with bad weather. So it's a very mysterious place. And the first time I went out on Ron's boat with him filming for this, it was dense fog and just this very mysterious gray. Just everything was gray. And it was wonderful. It was like such a unique world that we captured that day. And I tried to make that very much the style of the film. Just Josh was talking about the fog, so what... What used to uh, I used to love the most was um, going out there, being in dense fog. You can't see the island. You can't see anything. You know the water kind of turns into the fog. You you, you just really have no depth perception. Hmm. And then you're just there, and so you have to have full trust that things are going to be the way they are. You know, and you know if something happens, nobody's going to know. And then you just jump in, you know, and go for it. Well, one thing that I came away from the film thinking about was, how is this only like a 12-minute film? I was like, where is all the rest of the, the footage? Like, I just wanted so much more. And the cool part is that Ron's life story is infinitely more interesting than just <laughs> the shark angle. So, yeah, there's another film out there that someone needs to make about the complete Ron Elliott story. Totally. Have no, you? Have no you thought, way. No. no way. No. Okay. So what I what I like about the shorts is, if you walk away and you want to see more, that's great. Yeah. One of my pet <laughs> one of my pet peeves about filmmaking is that most films I think are too long. I I would much prefer to tell a story that leaves people wanting more than people walking out of there like God. I couldn't wait to get out of there. That makes sense. Yeah. One question I wanted to ask you, Ron, it's in, it might be in um, the other short film, Devil's Teeth, mm-hmm. but you mentioned having dreams about sharks. Mm-hmm. Do you still have dreams about sharks? Oh, yeah. What, what happens in these dreams? Uh, what are you doing? What are the sharks doing? 
So, okay, so, uh, you know, sometimes it's uh, just being out, you know, you know how dreams are, they're just so fragmented. I mean, there's so many different weird things that pop out of, out of nowhere that make no contacts. You know, sometimes you're swimming, but you're not really in water, but you're swimming. Uh, and then uh, sometimes I'll get those dark images, like a stormy day, uh, I'm on the boat, I jump in, I'm just going down, I can't really see anything around me. There's, you know, it's deep water, so it's not like there's no bottom. And, uh, and then so I'm just kind of always looking around, you know, looking for that. And, uh, you know, and so I have one of those kind of dreams that's more like um, I'm on alert. I'm not really enjoying the experience, I'm on alert. Um, and then there's times where uh, it's almost like a swimming pool uh, where <laughs> you look into this dark swimming pool, you know, and you're looking at all kinds of different things. And, and then I go, well, if I go in here, I'll go in the water here, so when I swim out to the deep end, you know, I'll be ready, you know, in case one of the sharks is there. You know, it's just weird, fragmented stuff. I haven't had any dreams, it's been a while, that actually where I'm attacked. Mostly just about being aware in certain, you know, instances where I feel a little creepy uh, about getting bit. Um, since that accident. Not getting bit, but having that like dark water, no sense of seeing anything. You know, I, I still have those kind of dreams, you know, off and on. Yeah. I have dreams about sharks that are kind of the opposite, where I'm surfing, I'm in the ocean, and the water is crystal clear, and I can see everything. And I can see all of the sharks everywhere. And I have, like, they're perfectly mapped out, which is really interesting because that's the complete opposite of the reality of the situation. When you're yeah. surfing, you can never see the sharks until they're right on top of you, really. So my dreams are, like, this crystal clear vision of everything, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> well, so the film is, is premiering at the... International Ocean Film Festival in San Francisco coming up in March. Um, any other film festivals? Or are you guys doing a tour or anything like that? What, how's the... Yeah, so it's screening on March 7th at Cal Theater. Um, and then it's screening a couple of days later as part of the same film festival on the Saturday, I think it's March 9th. And then we're screening it at the Ortega branch of the San Francisco Public Library on March 28th. Um, so that's on the website, nearmissfilm.com. And then after that, we are submitting it to a lot of different film festivals and just waiting to hear back from a lot. And we'll release it online at some point this year. Not sure when. Hopefully, maybe this summer. Awesome. Well, I don't want to keep you guys too much longer. I know you have more stuff to do today. So thanks a lot for coming by. This is great. Yeah, thanks All for right, having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks again to Ron and Josh for making the time to come on the podcast. Uh, neither of them is big on social media, but if you want to check out Near Miss, it'll be screening March 7th and March 9th as part of the International Ocean Film Festival at Cowell Theater in San Francisco. It's out by Fort Mason. For more info, go to intloceanfilmfest.org. 
If you want to follow what I'm up to with California Travel, I'm on Twitter at Greg R. Thomas. Or if you've got questions for me or suggestions for who I should bring on the pod, email me at gthomas at sfchronicle.com. Wild West is part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Find us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you like us, please throw us a rating and a review. Our music today is a track called Fuzzy and True by the Mini Vandals and comes courtesy of the YouTube Audio Library. See you next time.